Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Jean Chedeville. Jean is the Global Head of Aviation Finance with Natixis. Uh, Jean is joining us for the purposes of our 2023 Aviation Industry Leaders Report. And I should say we're recording this in the first week of November in Singapore. Jean, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, before we get into the meat of the questions, do you want to tell our watchers a little bit about Natixis and the areas you operate in in the aviation space? Sure. Thank you, Joe, for, for having me. The, um, so Natixis is a French bank. We are part of the BPC group. The, um, and the aviation practice in the bank has been operating for 40 years. The, uh, initially, as the export bank of France, uh, having a mandate to help Airbus sell their program across the world. And, um, and over the years, the business um, has evolved. Today, we, um, we are banking both airlines and lessors, supporting OEMs also in their various campaigns. The, um, and, we and we provide um, um, the full suite of products uh, for uh, the aviation community, many different kind of, uh, of uh, funding solutions. Uh, it goes from the standard uh, export credit financing, that was the legacy in the first place, to all sorts of funding structures that, that support the, um, the airline and the leasing community. Um, as well, on top of that, as all the, what you could think are the banking products uh, that makes their daily life easier. Great, and um, we're gonna to touch on lots of those as we go through the conversation. But maybe to level set, John, if you look at the overall recovery in air traffic, we've seen a very strong bounce back. We're obviously sitting in, in Singapore, we're seeing ASPAC come back strongly. Can I get your perspectives on you know, on, on the recovery, how it's going, and also the opportunities that is driven from the banking perspective. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's this recovery, I think, is the was uh, well expected by everybody. Um, the the summer recovery has been very strong. I think the three regions, if you look at us, I mean, the way we are organized, we have three desks in, in one of each of the regions, one in New York, one in Paris, and one in Singapore for APAC. Um, the U.S. have been quite busy thanks to the, the strong demand on domestic traffic throughout the, uh, the COVID period. Um, while the, um, in Europe, things have been a bit more um, on the back burner, and we've seen Asia being affected differently depending on the countries going through various uh, ups and downs. So it's the, in terms of recovery, the, um, we've seen a very strong summer for airlines, and the, especially in Europe. Uh, with airlines in the Middle East and um, and and eastern part of Europe benefiting, uh, of, sorry, western part of Europe benefiting a lot uh, from that recovery, people being very excited to get back on planes. The um, Asia is lagging a bit behind, mostly because of what's happening in uh, in China, uh, with the the border still being um, restricted in a bit due to um, to quarantine restrictions. But we've seen over the last few months, Japan opening up, Korea opening up, and, uh, and that gives uh, a lot of positive um, uh, kind of uh, expectations for, uh, for the, the rebound in the, uh, in the region. And, and I suppose that speaks a lot to the optimism, I think, that's in the sector. On the more negative side is the kind of challenges that are there. So if we look at both geopolitically and the macroeconomic environment, there's lots of headwinds. So we would look at dollar causing issues for lots of jurisdictions. We would see inflation, interest rate, and obviously oil prices being there. As you are assessing opportunities, how challenging is it when we have you know, a level of uncertainty and volatility that we probably haven't had for a long time? Yeah, the, 
so it's the I'll answer that question in two parts. One is the the fact that and just stepping back a little bit, the um, the aviation sector has probably been uh, one of the most affected sector through COVID. So we're entering into this macroeconomic, very volatile environment uh, from a low base. The, at the contrary to other asset classes that have survived pretty well through COVID thanks to the, 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 the volume of liquidity available. And those, are, those industries may face uh, a bit more of a headwind going forward. Um, that said, those macroeconomic uh, environments, I mean, volatility, increase of interest rates, uh, commodity prices, energy costs, the, uh, all that coupled with the um, probably a shortage at some point of liquidity uh, will affect the, um, the aviation industry. What we anticipate when we look at the business going forward is the, uh, that some airlines that have had a very strong summer may find a little bit of a tightening uh, over the next few months, but there's still good demand and we see lots of capacity um, coming to the market pre-summer 2023. Uh, so we, we're working with airlines on that to make sure that they, they have that capacity available. Um, we, but we, we are conscious of the risk. And, uh, and for us, it's really a question of looking at the, those corporates, being airlines or the source, um, or even asset managers who've been anticipating any potential um, uh, risk down, down the road, meaning spreading their refinancing risk uh, getting commitment and support from various stakeholders in the um, in the industry to face any of these challenges, and, and maybe honing in on that interest rate volatility that you mentioned, when you're looking at lessors and assessing them, how challenging is that where where we have this moving rate environment? You know, in theory, what we'd be expecting to see is lease rate factors start to materially increase. Anecdotally, what you're probably hearing is they're, they're ticking upwards, but, but in no way akin to the way we're seeing interest rates shoot upwards. How challenging is that then when you're interacting with lessors in such a heightened rate environment? The, I think this effect is, is, is quite common. I mean, it's a, we see it on the banking side too, where the, there's a lagging effect, basically. The, our cost of funds of banks are being affected by the way the capital markets are, are working at the moment. It's the end lessors are facing the same, the same issue um, on their lease rate factors, try to basically pass this increased cost or in increased um, uh, funding requirements into their, uh, into their customer base. The, um, it's going to take time. I think this, um, this kind of situation will probably delay some, uh, some trades, and, and we've, we are starting to see that actually. Uh, transactions that we're supposed to close are not closing uh, because the, the equity investors are probably looking at that thinking, look, that was a good deal, uh, I'm not hedged, I need to rethink. And so our job as a bank is to try to help to manage uh, those risks. And so we're putting in place various risk management tools, it being forward hedges, uh, sliding hedges, I mean different tools available to make sure that the, the, uh, this short-term volatility is covered. The, the, the bank's view on interest rates specifically is that the, um, we we've reached potentially not a peak yet but there's a peak that can't really be much higher from where we are today and that's going to plateau for a while before rates go down in probably a couple of years from now can i just ask you on the interest rate piece yeah. is it is it is the challenge there what effectively we have is too much volatility so if we land in a heightened environment those deals that we're seeing that are kind of you know stuck for want of a better word 
Is it just we need rates to settle even if they're at a higher rate where we'll see those kind of transactions pick up and execute again? Yeah, I think this, um, I mean, we are at a time where some equity were looking at certain returns and when they don't get that return or they think that this return is at risk, they probably pause. But it's also a time where fresh equity is coming into the business. And, uh, and we are at a time where, yes, interest rates are high, but values are low and there's upside there too. So I think it's, it really depends on, on where you're sitting as an investor. If you already have a lot outside the door and you need to manage that exposure through a potential cycle where, and if you are in that position, have you taken the right steps to hedge yourself through any refinancing world coming in the next two years? Uh, most of the leasers we're dealing with have taken those steps and have liquidity in the, uh, committed already that will help them to weather the storm if there is any. Um, now the question is on growth, but growth usually it's you reset the price uh, based on each new opportunity, based on market conditions. Um, so that's that's probably uh, taken care of. And you mentioned the liquidity that the lessors, particularly the investment grade lessors, have probably you know uh, very smartly built up over the twenty one uh, with the the issuance that they undertook. As those investment grade lessors go back to the capital markets, probably a little bit in 23, but probably a large way in 24, do you think they're at any disadvantage to where they were before? So we might be in a heightened rate environment for sure. Do you think the spread will change with the volatility we've talked around aviation? Or is it a case that we've seen a maturing of that aircraft as an asset class and a belief in that business model? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting point because it's the... You, you could take the uh, very different views on that. Um, but honestly, what I feel is the, when you are inv an investment grade lessor, you are in a much stronger position. Usually it means that you have the skill, the size, the relationship and the network to, to try to have a diversified business model. And so you can be a bit opportunistic if you have to. The, um, also what you do is you have a balance sheet you can leverage on, which other lighter balance sheet lessors can't do and which and then obviously are more at risk on any macro evolution. The, um, so I think it's the really on the, we have a timing here, which is when are the capital markets reopening for these guys, the IG guys. And, uh, and well, the good thing being a bank today is uh, we're here to fill the gap basically. Yeah. It's the, we've been very supportive of many lessors, um, building portfolios through warehouses over time or through or using their RCF and all the unsecured facilities before going to the capital markets. Um, I think today, even IG lessors are thinking, okay, um, maybe I want to edge my bets and I'm not gonna wait using my short-term liquidity until I face a wall and I'm starting to refinance and, and look at other solutions on the private debt sector. And, and can I ask you just on sources of funding, we've obviously seen a rise over the last couple of years of kind of the non-traditional lending platforms, the alternative vendors, a lot of it driven out of US private equity. Um, can I get your thoughts on that cohort of lenders and just your perspective as one of the more larger traditional aviation banks versus, you know, you know upstarts? Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I think finally we're seeing what we call NBFI into the sector which is something that has been missing for, for a long time. I mean, there has been a few Japanese, Koreans, and other alternative investors in, in aviation, but it's, there were just a handful of them and on very specific structures, specific deals. The, uh, now we're seeing guys who come with a big knowledge on aviation, 
because they are a subset of leasing companies or private equity firms that are invested in equity or that have been invested in aviation in different forms. Um, and I think that's a plus for the sector. It, we see ourselves as um, not at all competing against because it's, uh, I think, the, obviously, the risk appetite and, or the risk return overall are different. The, um, we see these, um, these non-traditional banking, or not, actually there are no banks, but no less traditional investors in aviation coming into, um, into deals that would probably bridge the gap between what banks can do today and what the capital markets were offering uh, pre, uh, in until a few months ago. Yeah. And these guys will help less or to basically get the returns they need at some point. So it could be either higher leverage, it could be uh, slower amortization profiles on their, on their investment, it could be also um, quasi-equity investment, um, helping to, uh, to boost the return a bit. But ultimately, from an ATIX perspective, you're saying that that's kind of a complementary rather than a competitor product. Completely. And I think it's the where we, and we've, we're talking to a lot of these guys. I mean, yeah. the, I said at the beginning, we are product agnostic. We're not yeah. pushing from the shelf any financing solution to any particular client. What we, what we love is to be um, in the relationship where we add value. And so when you see the state of the market right now and a lot of um, lessors or in investors are struggling to find the right return or to find the right deals, um, mostly because the capital structure doesn't work anymore. And so you need to reinvent that, re-engineer that, and working together with this type of investors, I think makes a lot of sense. And, and on the investor base that we're seeing come at aviation finance, have you seen any trends develop post-COVID? Is it like names change, but are you seeing any cla new class of investor come at it? You know, we've always seen a high degree of Asian and Japanese capital at the space. Yeah. Private equity has always been interested in space, probably heightened post-COVID. But really interested in your thoughts over the types of investors you're, you're seeing express interest in aviation finance. Yeah, it's, it's so I think through COVID it's been, um, um, there was a lot of liquidity to deploy, and so we started to see investors looking at aviation, thinking, okay, that's, that's an area of interest because it's going through a very deep down cycle. And like any industry, when the down cycle ends, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for new investor, new equity to come in. Um, we've seen some distressed uh, funds coming in. Um, which were probably on the lookout at the beginning and that are now shifting a bit their business model to try to set up more uh, full-fledged platforms. Uh, so that's interesting. We're seeing some, um, some states or so, uh, or I would say, uh, I mean, and that's probably more from the Middle East where you see um, uh, states thinking about the, the post-fossil fuel era and starting to position the countries in a different manner. Um, and on that, I mean, we could see that through COVID, the airlines and the Middle East overall have been performing very well. Um, and they've, been, they've been playing their role as a, as a leisure destination, but also as a transit destination. Um, so it's the, um, there is a business case there that has been, uh, I mean, that has shown it's attractive and it works. Um, the, and then we, we see startup uh, as well with uh, fresh private equity or uh, veterans from the industry with very deep knowledge on the assets, on the uh, on the structure, with very good network that are attracting standard private equity funds uh, that are willing to look at the uh, at the industry for the reason we mentioned. Yeah. Um, lower valuation today, uh, and with probably an upside and uh, and potential business case if you can foresee some consolidation or some 
or the lessor working on diversifying their risk. And that consolidation point, I think, is, is an interesting one then maybe to touch on. And it links to another, which is the importance of scale. Um, so we've seen, you know, we now have the supersized lessor that is Aircap that kind of stands alone. Mm-hmm. You probably have six to eight of the IG then rated lessors, you know, the 400 plus aircraft guys. Then you got everyone else and maybe the asset manager class that, that's focused on maybe more niche transactions um, or trying to carve their space in a certain area. Do you feel in this environment that the importance of scale has increased and to the extent that it has, are we in line for more consolidation? So yeah, and it's, scale is important. It's always been important. I think it's the, does it mean that you need to be 200 aircraft to be an IG rated lessor or do you need now to be at 300 aircraft to be an IG rated lessor? Um, I don't think that's the, that's the main issue. I think getting an IG rating is important uh, for many lessors uh, with a corporate structure that wants to have an efficient business model at some point, but you need a critical size for that. The, uh, I think what's, the, what's interesting right now is to see the, uh, the, the spread of lessors with a couple of big ones and smaller ones and tiny ones. And we think that the, the medium ones are, are here to remain and there's gonna be some consolidation. Being a tiny one in that world, if you don't have something special to grow your business quickly, uh, strong shareholder uh, with and cheaper capital uh, requirements or cost of capital requirements and um, or something else that differentiates yourself to, um, to build a business, I think it's going to be difficult to survive. Yeah, and maybe changing tack a little bit, Jean, can I, can I get your thoughts on ESG and the sector with a particular focus on the E and the environment? Uh, you might talk to us from a banking perspective. What are you thinking about, right? Because we've heard terms like green finance kind of yeah. swirled around. Doesn't really hold mustard, right? To be honest with you, when you're talking aviation, but when you're thinking ESG in the context, um, and I'm sure it's a very big issue internally, what are you thinking about in the context of aviation, and what kind of actions do you think the sector should be taking? Yeah, no, that's that's a big. Uh, so we'll try to be short on that one. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. In three minutes or less, <laughs> what do you think about ESG? So it's the um, there are lots of pitfalls there around, and I think as an institution, what you don't want is to uh, to fall into one of those and be on the uh, on the press as a uh, as a greenwasher. Uh, the and so when we look into that, the um, there are various steps that the bank has taken. The Natixis was one of the earliest bank to basically take that. Um, transition journey in-house. Today, every loan that the bank is putting outside, every facility that we have with clients as a label, as a color label, so it goes from dark brown to dark green with all the shades in the middle. Um, Aviation today sits in the middle uh, because of the business model we have. We are mostly focused on new generation aircraft, um, mostly focused on the um, on structures where we worked with airlines that are starting to commit to um, a transition journey as well. Um, the, so I think airlines on that front, it's, it's pretty clear uh, on what they can do. And I mean, Natixis has been uh, very much involved in that as well outside with impact on sustainable aviation, which is a group of 30 plus um, uh, stakeholders of aviation, being banks, uh, lessors, um, the uh, professors and advisors I and mean, different people from different backgrounds basically putting together their brain to, tr- to start to think about what should be the standards that aviation investors can look at to say okay 
I know what I'm financing today. If this uh, project, this airline, this aircraft type um, is on my book uh, today and it's what color is it going to become in three, four, five, ten years time and try to set standards there. So then the whole community can, uh, can look at those standards and say, okay, I understand how you fix your KPI. I understand how you reach your milestones. And then, yeah, we can comfortab uh, comfortably say that you are transitioning. Because uh, that's a big uncertainty today is how, to, how do we get there? And, uh, and so on that, the, we are in discussion with the regulators, with the FA, with the European uh, regulators, with the, uh, with the OEMs, with, the, um, with KPMG and, uh, and many others on, on trying to find those blocks. And on impact, basically, they are, we are working on, on few metrics. As we believe that there are three metrics that are important. is the overall decarbonization uh, metric, so the reduction of CO2 overall. We, and then is the, um, what we look at the, uh, the intensity, so the CO2 per flight or per uh, RPK, or you can, you can decline it differently. And then is the decoupling, is um, looking at, yes, CO2 is one thing, capacity is another thing, and they are not always correlated, so try to take different views. And, and can I bring in maybe to the lending side on that? You mentioned that scale, you're mm -hmm. assessing kind of opportunities on. Are, are, is, is ESG driving any go-no-go go, no go situations, or is it leading to situations where it's actually costing you know, borrowers basis points? Yeah, so it's not yet costing borrowers basis by indirectly it will actually yeah. because there is a go no go thing. It's at some point as an institution we the the whole group of Netexis and BPCE um, have a trajectory where we think okay today we are we have this mix of color on our books we want to get to a greener mix uh, in few years time, and uh, and every business line has to participate to that. So aviation is is no exception. So for us transactions that are deemed under our um, criteria to be browner than others will be um, less appealing to us. Yeah. So then the, obviously the whole client relationships and all that comes in and then it's for us to decide what's the, uh, do we pursue or not? But yes, there is a go, no go. And so indirectly, if it's a no go, it means less liquidity available yeah. and so higher cost of funds for this e Eventually that population shrinks. And we're hearing that a little bit on the investor side and as you say, it's coming. I guess is the point yeah. is it's coming and the pace at which it's coming is what's gonna be interesting to see. Pro probably to a, to a degree answers my next question around fleet focus and, and, and what you believe to be the best investable metal. So it sounds as if you know new technology aircraft fitting with your ESG mm -hmm. strategy your thoughts are on the wide body market, right? Uh, probably some chat. Ultimately, the production rates have fallen so low, um, despite the fact we had a, you know, a significant uh, depreciation in wide body values, that they're probably going to be back in demand, right? So from a fleet focus perspective, how are you viewing that market? Yeah, it's the, I mean, we've always financed wide bodies. It's the, um, historically, we probably have a mix of a good mix of um, maybe a bit more narrow bodies than, than wide bodies, but that's because the volume of deals as, as such. The, um, the, to your point, I think wide bodies are coming back and we see values on older generation wide bodies uh, going back up, the, uh, mostly because there's gonna be lack of, of capacity. Um, we're seeing airlines struggling to secure capacity for next summer, I was mentioning that earlier. It's the, uh, and so if they can't get a brand new white body from Airbus and Boeing, and even a two-year-old new gen white body from them, they're going to turn around and try to see uh, to seek for capacity on on other as, uh, asset types. 
Um, then the challenge is if, uh, if they really move there, the, when you look at your ESG transformation or objective, it's uh, so a 20 year old white body's not going to go great on your scale. <laughs> no, exactly. It's the uh, so that's not. But then we can we can look at other things. I mean, there is the asset types kind of colorization yeah. and then you have the corporate commitment. And I think for the we talked about the airline for the lessor, the commitment, the ESG commitment is likely to come more at the corporate level than just on the on the asset based uh, uh, features. So, so just in closing, Jean, we, we talked about still opportunities that are there in the market, but, but a lot of headwinds and uncertainties. Looking out into 23, what are your optimism levels like? The, uh, so it's, I'm quite optimistic. Let's say cautiously optimistic, yeah. but it's uh, quite optimistic still. It's the, um, I mean, we are in an environment where there is uncertainty, when there is risk, people need to manage that. That's our job to help there. So it's, it's not gonna be traditional business, but it, we haven't been doing much traditional business for the last four years anyway. It's the, through COVID, we have to restructure, rethink the business case, try to adapt to, uh, to the needs of the clients, airlines and lessors. Um, now we're entering a new phase, and uh, to me, that's a deeper crisis than COVID, because liquidity, there's gonna be a shortage of liquidity uh, until the capital markets stabilize a little bit, but it will stabilize at a higher level than it was in 2019 anyway, or even 2020. So it's the, um, so banks will have a role to play. Now it's, can bank replace capital markets? No, it's, we don't have the same volume at, um, to, to deliver. So it's, it's gonna be a question for us to see how we position ourselves to, to help clients, prospects. Historically, Natixis on the, with lessors has been more involved with, the, um, with lessors at the, through their growing phase. That's true that the, we've been banking a few startups, uh, leasing companies. I think that's where we add value, um, more value, the uh because we bring certainty of execution on trades we bring volume and uh and this is important to um for this uh, this kind of um of, of platforms um so and and there are a few comings there are a few there may be consolidation we are working on consolidation uh, uh transaction at the moment we've been helping airlines going through uh chapter 11 and out of chapter 11 we are helping airlines also going through measures uh, as we speak so I mean, it's, we're gonna adapt. Uh, and I'm pretty positive that for banks who have uh, this kind of nimble mindset, there's gonna be great opportunities next year. Well, Jean, on that optimistic note, I'd like to thank you for your great insights today and wish you and Texas a very successful 23. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me.